all day. But that didn't bother Grandma. She was glad we all were there. See, she was queen on Christmas, crowned with silver in her hair. And now she's gone, and we all spend our Christmases at home. All the aunts and uncles now have grandkids of their own. Lord, let our homes be filled with love and joy like my grandma knew. And please let her have a Merry Christmas celebrating there with you. Lord, I'd still like to go to grandma's house for Christmas. Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle, and this is the 2019 Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Show. Last year, I think I went from the deadline to releasing the contest results show in about a week. This year, we're almost at a month and a half. But last year, I had around 200 entries. This year, it was over 600. That's crazy. And to make it even crazier, I think a bigger percentage of the stories this year went into my final group of contenders. I literally had around 160 stories, all of which I would have been completely happy to use. That's the part that actually made this whole thing harder this year and why it took so long. I had to let so many go that I actually loved. There's only so much time and space, though, and I'm already doing two more stories this year than last year. But in case you're confused, I should recap. This is the result show for the 2019 Weird Christmas Flash Fiction Contest. I can call it an annual thing now, officially, which is pretty cool. But over the summer, I put out a request for flash fiction of no more than 350 words that was somehow or another about Christmas or any other winter-themed holiday. The only other requirement was that it had to be weird in some way or another. And how you define weird is up to you. For the first prize, the winner gets $50, and second prize gets $25, and then we do about 10, or this year a dozen, honorable mentions. Next year, if I get a few more people signing up on Patreon.com, I may be able to have bigger prizes and maybe even offer more of them. So Patreon.com slash Weird Christmas, take a look. It'll really help out. Now, for those who entered, most of you will have heard from me through email about your story for the show airs. But as I'm recording this, I've still got about 150 emails to send. I hope I get them all out before the show. But I'm just one dude with a job and kids, and, you know, it's December and Christmas. I have talked to everyone whose story appears here. I just wanted to add that so that no one who entered feels like I'm teasing you by making you listen to the show or anything like that. One thing I haven't told anyone is who actually won. So there's still a little surprise there. A few things about the stories. I did say this year that people might want to avoid those sort of evil Santa stories, mainly because that was like a full fourth of what I got last year. I thought I'd push people to come up with something a little more creative since that seemed like a kind of default, I think, for a lot of folks. I didn't say you couldn't write one, and in fact, one of the stories you're about to hear is sort of an evil Santa story. But the weirder they are, the better. It is funny how you start to see trends, though. One thing that really stood out this year were Christmas revenge stories, especially of women getting revenge against husbands, boyfriends, fathers, bosses, you name it. Also, a lot about Christmas on interstellar ships or planetary colonies. Um, And that was good, because I did say I was kind of surprised last year that there weren't more science fiction entries. So we certainly made up for that this year. I also got a fair bit of what I guess you'd call erotica. So I now have lots of mental images of Santa in compromising positions in my head now. So thank you guys for that, I think. 
So some of those stories that won were part of those trends and some weren't. It's not a deal breaker by any means. But when it comes down to how I choose these in the end, it's just my taste. I did have two other friends and my wife help me read the finalists too. Because I know if I was left on my own, the stories here would all be very, very dark. So it was good to have people with different tastes give me their input. But in the end, the two winners were totally just me and my feelings. But I say that because if you didn't win or didn't make it on the show, that says nothing about the quality of your story. Like I said, there were some excellent pieces that I had to turn down. But when it came to choosing things for the show, I was aiming for a variety of styles, topics, like funny and dark, diversity of all kinds. Uh, I didn't explicitly go for gender or ethnic diversity because, I mean, who knows if the names are real and I don't want to make assumptions. Besides, I also found out that at least one person submitted their story under a pseudonym to force me into a blind reading. And you know who you are. I still don't know, though. Wouldn't tell me the fake name. But that's enough of me rambling. If you're desperate just to see who made the list and who won, go check out the show notes on weirdchristmas.com. I've also posted the full text of the stories up there and the author's biographies. If you like someone's story in particular, please go check out their bio. You can read the other things they've included as links, follow them on social media, all that kind of thing. The prize for honorable mentions is at least to get them a few more readers out there in the world, and every writer likes to know if you like their story, so please let them know. But if you just want to hear the stories, settle in. The winners will come last, and the honorable mentions are not presented in any order of quality. And by the way, unless I say otherwise, the stories are all read by their authors. So here they are, the stories of Weird Christmas Flash Fiction 2019. The Gifts by Mary Sheen I I don't want to, my voice trembled. You must, Mom whispered. Our eyes met. Hers were wide with fear too. I took a deep breath and opened the sack. A dozen identical parcels lay within, but I chose mine cautiously. My wrist still smarted from last year's rash choice. Mam then picked one, and we watched solemnly as the sack of gifts shrank and with a faint pop disappeared back up the chimney. As we carried our gifts to the kitchen table, I could sense my parcel mould itself to being mine. Mam carefully unwrapped hers to reveal a cut crystal bottle of perfume. Now her eyes widened with pleasure. She dabbed a drop of the golden liquid on her wrist. A deeply unpleasant odour began to stink the air. Mam wrinkled her nose in disgust, but relief that nothing truly bad had happened made her laugh. Later, when she'd stopped laughing and was wiping the tears from her eyes, we realised the horrible stench had changed to a delicate floral scent. It was my turn. It won't be the same as last Christmas, Sam, Mam said softly. I swallowed. It mightn't be the same, but it could be worse. The black and amber toy I'd got last year which had buzzed into angry life, then stung me before flying up the chimney, had been bad, but obviously not as bad as whatever had happened to Dad with his final gift. Mam never would tell me. I was thinking about that when my parcel suddenly moved. Fear paralysed me. The movements got wilder and the paper began to tear away from the inside. Sweat broke out all over me as claws tore a gaping hole in the parcel. Then, 
it became eerily still, expectant. I thought about how bravely Mam had reacted to her gift, so I leaned forward to peer into the dark hole. A pair of startled green eyes stared back at me. Hey, fella, I coaxed. A black kitten scrambled awkwardly from the wrapping, purring happily. Now I laughed with relief. We were safe for another year. Mary's story is one I was thinking was closest to an evil Santa story, but I really liked how his evil presence is just kind of lurking. It's unsettling in the best way. The next story is from someone whose name I hope you remember. Doug Jensen was last year's winner with a story I still just adore and reread every now and then just to get a little malicious smile on my face. Now, I never promised anyone from last year that I'd include another story of theirs, but when I read what Doug sent me this year, I knew I'd find a place for it somewhere. So enjoy, if you can, The Tree Eaters by Doug Jensen. It's Christmas Eve and I am alone, chewing a sprig of tinsel in the dark of my office. The home is quiet. The staff are all gone. I've remained strong until now, but I know what's waiting for me in the warm shadows of the television room. I shiver, close my eyes, and breathe pine. Mrs. Dennis was the first, her tongue furred green. Mr. Benson came soon after, his gums all bloody and a smell of sap on his breath. One by one the wreaths vanished from the residence doors. We found them behind radiators under piles of laundry. All were stripped bare. We felt revulsion. Meetings were held where we chewed pencils and took innumerable cigarette breaks. Cards were banned after we caught Mr. Morton smiling glitter. Everywhere was the sound of bells, the scent of cinnamon, the taste of blood. One night when I was on watch I saw a line of blinking lights shiver and curl in the dark. I heard wet breathing and the beam of my torch landed on a pair of pale bodies writhing on the sofa. I recognised Mr. Andrews a length of glistening cable hanging from his lips. Each vertebra flashed red in turn. It spread quickly. I caught a spark of green in the smile of a colleague. Pine needles littered the bathroom floor. I held out, ate broccoli, chewed rosemary. The care manager swallowed six baubles whole. We found him in the car park, blue-faced and smiling. I thought it was different, but in the end I knew I would find myself here, walking the narrow corridor to the television room. There was a song in my heart, and when I shut my eyes the world is full of blinking lights. I open them again and there it is, waiting, like a nervous bridegroom, the last tree. I lean in, gently, take the trunk between my teeth. That one's definitely a bit darker than the unending streams of Santas that Doug wrote about last year, but I like it. It also seems like a good story to read if you're on a diet and having cravings. We're going to switch gears with the next story, going from surreal horror to a touch of science fiction. And if you know anything about Isaac Asimov's robot stories with its three fundamental laws, yeah, just forget all that. This is a brave new world. Here's No Presents for the Naughty by Faye Brown. It was three o'clock Christmas morning when Carrie awakened. She opened her eyes and lay there, wondering what woke her. Then she heard it, a noise coming from outside. 
She sat up and started to call for Max, her android housekeeper. She stopped short when a movement outside of her window caught her eye. She went to the window. The floodlights below illuminated her yard, and she could see Max walking across the alley and into the Jurgens' yard. Carrie sighed. Max was programmed to serve as housekeeper and protector. He was also programmed not to leave the property. Must be a glitch, she mumbled as she threw on her jeans. She was at the back door, pulling on her boots when she heard the screams. It was from the Jurgens' house. Adrenaline pushed her out the door, through the yard, and across the alley. She raced into the house and stopped short. Max was standing in the kitchen, holding Bill Jurgens' head in his hand. Bill's body was on the floor, surrounded by a pool of blood. The screams were Mrs. Jurgens. Carrie froze. Max turned to her and smiled. Hello, Carrie, he said. What's wrong? Why? was all she could manage. Fear made her sweat. Max looked down at the severed head. You said that naughty people don't get Christmas presents, but Santa put gifts under the tree for Bill anyway. I saw them through the window. I came to correct Santa's mistake, and Bill tried to hurt me, the way he hurts Evelyn. So I destroyed him. Carrie was shocked. She looked over at Evelyn, whose face had changed into a smile. Evelyn looked at Max. Can you destroy him so there's no evidence? Max nodded. He dropped Bill's head on his body and used his incinerator attachment to fry Bill until he was dust. I guess I'm going to have a Merry Christmas after all, Evelyn said, grabbing the broom. The women nodded silently to each other, and Carrie and Max left. You're learning, she whispered as they walked. Max just smiled at her. I love that last bit. So many of the stories this year have wonderful endings. They're not really twists, just turns a phrase or one final comment that does so much to add a layer to the stories, which let's admit are super short. But I feel like that last comment in Faye's story just expands the character and the story so much. Okay, another gear shift. You know, that's a, a dumb phrase. No one drives a standard anymore. We need something more modern like, okay, let's go from iOS to Android or .mobi to EPUB. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. But most of you want me to shut up and get on with it, so let's go from serious to smiley. And what kind of smile this gives you, we'll have to see. Here's Snow Friend of Mine by John Adams. It was a powdery Christmas morning, and all the children worked together to create a dazzling display of snowmen. All the children, except little Eloisa Pembershovel, that is. She huddled by herself, struggling to balance a ball of mucky snow atop two larger balls of mucky snow. Look at little Eloisa Pembershuffle's snowman, the other children cackled. It's lopsided! It has radishes for eyes and wobbles. Proving that last taunt, the snowman's head slipped right off its body, landing in a dirty thud at tiny Eloisa Pembershuffle's feet. Oh, misery, the girl cried. Why must life be so cruel? Perhaps you'll just need a bust friend. A slurred but hearty voice suggested. We, Eloisa Pembershuffle, looked around for the voice's owner, 
but only saw much happier children in the distance. Who said that? Look down, the voice said. Dainty Eloisa Pembershuffle cautiously lowered her gaze. A radish eye winked up. Hello, little Eloisa Pembershuffle. Teensy Eloisa Pembershuffle released a very unteensy scream and stumbled backwards. Her foot connected with slippery snow and she tumbled onto her bottom. The snowman laughed and stuck out a corncob tongue. Careful there, boss friend. What? What are you? The girl asked, shakily rising. I told you, I'm your best friend. But you're a snowman. Don't be rude. Now put my head back on my shoulders. Entranced, teeny Eloisa Pembershuffle did as instructed. This time, the head fit perfectly. How do I look? Oh, okay, I guess. Good. The snowman narrowed its radish eyes. Wanna have some fun? Its cold grin tightened. I guess. Wanna get even with those jerks? It pointed a gnarly stick arm at the other children. Stumpy Eloisa Pembershuffle took in a cold breath. Yes, she said on the exhale. The snowman huffed. Its radish eyes and cold mouth widened in disappointment. Well, that's just wrong, it cried. That was a test and you flunked. Little Eloise of Pumber Shuffle, I don't want to be your best friend after all. It rolled away on its mucky snowball torso to join the other, much less naughty children, leaving tiny little Eloise of Pembershuffle on her own once again. <laughs> Poor Eloise of Pembershuffle just can't catch a break. Hey, that's Christmas for you sometimes, right? You get all riled up waiting for the big day, and you finally wake up Christmas morning, and your parents forgot to buy you presents. Nothing like traditional disappointment at Christmas time. At least we can depend on Santa. And here's a story about how Santa is more dependable than almost anything else on Earth. Here's Santa Claus Lives Forever by Meredith Morgenstern. And Meredith had her brother read it for her, which I thought was incredibly sweet. Santa Claus no longer marked the passage of time. He stayed inside his castle and stopped noticing the change of seasons. A few weeks of sunlight never made a difference anyway. He grunted and scribbled a name onto the blank scroll. The columns were obsolete. There were no more naughty or nice kids. The list he kept was little more than a futile memorial. The scratching of the quill on parchment echoed through the empty room while his breath puffed out as warm mist in the cold. Decades ago, he noticed his trips had grown shorter. The elves called it efficiency, but a tally of names from both lists showed a marked decrease each year. Rumors persisted that kids these days no longer believed as much. No more magic in the world, the elves said. Maybe so, Santa thought, but it didn't explain the world's growing dimness with each year's ride. He hadn't known that his final ride would be such. 
The house of the last children on earth had no tree and a dirt floor. The windows were broken. Instead of milk and cookies, the children had left him a precious candle which broke his heart. He left them matches, batteries, and cans of water. The following year, the list came up empty. Santa went out anyway, desperate with hope. He returned to the North Pole, hollow-eyed and tear-stained. Some elves left right away. Where they went, Santa neither knew nor cared. A few remained for a while. Santa never sent anyone away, but he never asked them to stay. Soon, only the reindeer were left. Where else would they go? Santa kept up with their feeding and fresh water as long as he could. Blitzen, Santa wrote with a flourish. He tried to remember which generation this last had been. The 20th? It didn't matter. No one was left to read his account of the end of the world. After Blitzen's name, he wrote simply, The Last. Santa rolled up the scroll, walked out of his dusty workshop, and stepped into the North Pole's frozen and eternal night. That story is one reason I have my wife and friends read the stories with me. If I was left on my own devices, that'd probably have been the most upbeat tale we'd hear today. But luckily, Mrs. Kringle reminds me to look for at least a few stories that don't end with Santa walking off into an eternal void. Variety is good, or so they tell me. Our next story doesn't even have Santa, although it does feature a tree. And I need to thank my friend Lisa for stepping in to read this one for us. Her voice worked perfectly for the narrator, I think. So here's... The Most Wonderful Time of the Year by Ellen Booth The first thing I experienced was the feeling of cold. All crowded together, the ground beneath us covered in a cold white layer, stood side by side, contained within a metal fence. That was our home, and that was where we grew. The axe came after we had grown fully. At first it was just a few who were cut down and taken away. Then he came back for the rest of us, a short, angry man with arms wide and veiny. The chop did not hurt as much as I thought it would. It was one quick swipe, and then I fell to the floor. He dragged us up by our stumps, one by one, and took us to a new place that I did not know. He piled us on top of each other, and then stood us up, separated, but still surrounded by fences. That was when they began to arrive. They would walk in groups, huddle together to protect from the cold air. They would stop, look at us, and furrow their brows. Then they would usually say something. The others would murmur in agreement, and they would move on. This went on for days. Nights spent alone and cold, and days spent stood on display, passed up by all, until it happened. She was a very small human, barely reaching the bottom of my pines. But still, she stood there, defiant to everything and everyone, gazing up towards me, taking in my entire splendor. With a giant smile on her face, she ran away and returned with the taller, older members of her flock and began to babble to them. And that was it. I was fastened to the top of a strange machine and taken to a tall building. I was brought inside and stood in the corner of the room with sparkling objects and gems placed all over me. I'm no longer alone. They often sit in the room with me, 
and I'm no longer cold. The room is warm and cozy. I like it here. I hope I can stay. Ooh, sorry guys. I guess that one was a downer too. Unless you just see it as a beautiful story about hope and optimism. But I loved it because again, it was that very last line that made the story. With flash fiction, you can do things like that, where one sentence controls everything you're going to take away from it. So very cool. I mean, terribly sad, sure, but cool sad. I think this next story is pretty funny, though. But I'm also the guy who thinks Christmas cards with dead birds and murdering frogs are hilarious. So if you've kept up with me this long, I don't think you'll be disappointed. And I should say that I did not choose this one because he had my title in his title. No flattery involved here at all, but here's A Weird Christmas Dinner by Michael Donahue. Watching his severed leg roasting on an open fire, Rudolph felt unease at how much his mouth watered. Dark or light meat? Santa brandished a sliver of former sleighwood. I don't see why I can't have the whole thing. Rudolph scraped his antlers against the permafrosted tundra. It is my leg, after all. Santa frowned. Now, now, we're all in this together. He wagged his finger. Be nice, not naughty. Rudolph knew if the crash hadn't severed his back legs, he'd get up right now and skewer that judgmental fat fuck. Santa claimed his glasses fell off and caused the accident. Rudolph snorted at that fairy tale. He'd smelt the rum on Santa's breath. Only eggnog. Right. In his fucking annoying jolly voice, Santa said, Aren't the Northern Lights luminous tonight? Ho 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 ho! Makes you happy to be alive! Shivering, Rudolph avoided looking at the large pile of reindeer skeletons. At least... They died quickish without having to endure Santa's tyranny of unreasonable joyfulness. Mrs. Claus will find us soon. The search party won't give up hope, and neither should we. Rudolph was too tired, hungry, cold, and worried to listen. The candy cane and mistletoe had run out after day six. Then they consumed the flesh of the other reindeer. Santa called it gamey venison. Rudolph called it cannibalism. Rudolph's severed legs were the last of the food supply. He knew this was the end of both the meat and the wood. Now, the race to the death would be between starvation or freezing. Why? Any moment now, we'll see Frosty over the hill. Ho, ho, ho! With his big friendly wave! Santa gave an exaggerated impression. What do you think of that, Rudy? Santa slapped his hands on his belly. And just then, Rudolph saw a brown fleck shoot out of the felt pocket. Rudolph didn't smell a rat. He smelled ginger. From a gingerbread cookie. Santa should have been all skin and bones, like him. But St. Nick still looked corpulent. The big man had been holding out. Rudolph dragged his antlers across the ground to hone their edges before calling out, 
Hey, Santa! I think I found your glasses over here. I totally get this. You know, you work with the same people day after day for years, and all those little things just start to add up. You gotta expect something to crack if you can't let off a little steam. So I think that confrontation was bound to happen one way or another. It's really just a workplace drama when you strip it down, with some self-cannibalism thrown in. And I have another story about eating for you. Just carrots this time, though, so don't get too grossed out. I think this one would be great to read if your kids insist on eating the cookies you're supposed to leave for Santa. I think they'd get the message pretty quick. So here's a piece by M.J. Mars called Midnight Snack. Billy yanked his hand back as his grandma let fly with the rolling pin and he narrowly avoided a flowery wrap on the knuckles. Leave the carrot alone, she chastised. It's for the reindeer. If they don't get the carrots, they don't have enough strength to deliver the presents. The six-year-old scowled. He loved carrots. They were his favourite snack in the whole world. He glanced over at the presents lined up under the Christmas tree, then back to the dish that contained one mince pie and one shiny carrot. He wanted it more than anything that was wrapped and waiting for him the following morning. That night, Billy waited until Grandma's snores filtered through the wall before he snuck downstairs. He snatched the carrot and crunched, feeling a burst of guilty glee as he swallowed the sweet orange flesh. Giggling, he rushed back up to bed, his Christmas already made. He woke up to find his room still dark. He must have been sleeping on his nose, he realised. It throbbed, red-hot heat emanating from the tip. Something tugged his ankle and he landed in a heap on the floor, then yelped as he was dragged across the room to the window. He felt the icy breeze of the open pane as tiny, unseen hands lifted him, bundling him out onto the roof. Shivering, Billy looked down at his arms in horror. They were covered in fur. His fingers had welded together and grown hoof-like and his nose still burned. To his left, a reindeer lay dead, crumpled in an emaciated heap. Ten tiny elves mourned over the body, then turned to Billy, snarling. Billy tried to scream as the elves rushed forward with a leather harness and clipped him unceremoniously to a heavy weight behind him. The straps cut into his back, and as a deep voice yelled for him to fly, lashing a whip against his mane, he glanced in terror at the other reindeer galloping beside him. Its eyes were as blue and as human as his were. Another poor little kid. You wake up thinking, hey, maybe the Polar Express is here, and instead you're on a different kind of express altogether. And who would have thought you could be punished for sneaking carrots? So I take it you've noticed we don't just have American accents on the show. I love that. A bunch of people even asked me if folks from outside the U.S. were allowed to enter, which I thought was kind of a weird question, especially since Doug, who won last year, is from Scotland. But then there's been a lot of talk about walls over here lately. So I guess it is a natural question. But no, Weird Christmas is open to all comers. I bet there's some of you thinking, oh no, politics. Well, I was right there with you for a bit. I actually got a lot of political stories this time, and from all different angles. I did wonder if some of the folk taking the war on Christmas side had you know, ever looked at anything I've ever posted, but whatever. I wasn't going to include any political stories at first, because honestly, most weren't that good. The message overwhelmed the story. Until I read this next one. And the way it's told is just cool. So here's Last Chance 
by James Jensen, and I'm going to read this one because I want to have some fun too. Last Chance by James Jensen. Let me be clear, this request comes from the top, the very top. A hand raised, points ticked off, one by one. The director has the utmost respect for your continued service and is personally grateful for both your dedication and the transcendent results you've been able to achieve year after year. The director also acknowledges that your success rate has been exemplary, close to near perfect, almost without exception. Additionally, the director is fully aware that by the terms of your respective offices, you are not now, have not been, nor shall you ever be held accountable for either the successes nor the failures of your missions. You are their guides. Their free will remains their own. The director further acknowledges that if you do choose to take on this abrupt change of mission, succeed or fail, you'll be doing everything possible to pave the way for his redemption. Finally, the director has made every resource available for your disposal without limit beginning now. The most significant of pauses, total attention demanded from one, complete focus given by three. Because of all that stands to be gained from your undertaking, the director will not command, but begs you, begs you, to do your very best, your utmost, as you have never done before. The voice lowered, sad, yet resolute. Because if his atonement doesn't take hold, his case will immediately move to the office of finality. Three reactions of shock, three countenances firming into a mixture of resolve, determination, and hope. As the director's intermediary to you and your esteemed positions, I officially ask, nay, I implore that for this year, this season, this very night, do you accept this change of assignment? Yes, the ghost of Christmas past agreed firmly. I declared the ghost of Christmas present. The ghost of Christmas yet to come nodded slowly and deeply. Then go forth, for now is your time, and the president is asleep. You know, Trump would make a great Dickensian character. He's all extremes and hyperbole. He's got ways of speaking that are like immediately recognizable, and he'll do anything to make you pay attention to him. Even his name, Trump. Is there a more Dickensian name than Trump? Granted, Scrooge is pretty darn good, but if he had been named Ebenezer Trump, I think it'd still be a classic. So how do you follow up after a political diversion and get back to just creeping people out? Go with something tried and true, like zombies. We need a good Christmas zombie story. I got a few last year, and even fewer this year, but in the end there was just one that stood out for all kinds of reasons. So here's On One Snowy Christmas Eve by Keely Shannon. Sarah shot the zombie that was lurching towards her in the head. These things are getting faster, she thought, moving away from the body that lay centimetres from her, looking around for more danger in the abandoned shopping centre. She scowled at the shop she found herself in. Action figures, teddy bears and all manner of other toys lined the shop's shelves, placed carefully as if someone was still responsible for ensuring the place looked presentable. This is going to be fun, she thought. Sarah let loose, punching and kicking boxes off shelves. She flew around the shop, wrecking everything she could. She would never have heard the three children come careening into the store over the racket of her destruction had one of them not desperately screamed at her, Stop destroying the toys! Sarah paused, breathing heavily. 
It was a maybe 11-year-old boy who'd spoken, pale, shaking, with a machete gripped hard in both hands. Next to him was a younger boy, sobbing, who said between hiccuped breaths, She... she broke all the... the Legos you said I could have for Christmas. It's okay, a girl reassured. Santa's still going to come. Sarah snorted. Oh, he's coming all right. That's when the kids properly paid attention to her. Confusion passed across their faces. The youngest child's eyes widened. Mrs. Claus, he gasped. How did these blasted children always recognise her? She felt like the universe must have been laughing when it endowed her with incredible superhuman powers and immortality, then also made her recognisable only as someone else's wife. And then, blessedly, she heard faint sounds of gargling and scraping and running. The kids heard the sounds too and exchanged glances. With a lingering look at Sarah, the boy with the machete led them to the back of the store and through the door. The kids may hate her. So be it. Mr. Claus made them their sacred toys, but she was giving them what they really needed. Rest, safety, a chance at something of a life. She stepped forwards and started shooting. Okay, the zombies are cool. Mrs. Claus is a badass. But to talk craft for just a minute, Keeley's able to cram a ton in there with just 350 words, which is why I liked it so much. You got the cool action scene, yeah, but you've also got gender issues, marriage issues, parenting issues, consumer culture. You know, this story may be even more political than the last one, but it's all still focused on the character. Look, I'm obviously not your writing teacher, but if you want to know how to get quote-unquote big issues into genre stuff, reading this one a few times will serve you well. Now we go to another science fiction story, this one in the grand old tradition of space opera. But I realized something after asking for more science fiction stories this year. Straight up sci-fi is hard in 350 words. Figuring out how to cram all that world building and context setting in there while they're still telling a good tale, that's a crazy hard balancing act. And I got a lot of stories set on other planets or on spaceships that had amazing concepts. But sometimes the execution just wasn't there. A lot of times I felt like it was set up, set up, set up, idea, and then it's over. That there wasn't much to hang on to along the way. In this one, though, it all works. Here's Advent by Dan Fields. Teague turned from the sensor port. Orders to arm? Esparza blinked wearily. Negative. Safety's on, pending final triangulation. Lieutenant Teague and Commander Esparza had earned their respective places on board, although one specialized in graveless flight tactics and the other in apocryphal gospels. Locating and even reaching the correct star had been fairly simple once the proper assortment of physicists, theologians, astrologers, and engineers could be coaxed into sharing notes in the service of the common objective. Tracking relative visibility on habitable planetoids was trickier. To determine where its guiding radiance now focused would have been next to impossible but for the confirming appearance of the freighters. One, two, the third with her decreasing orbit listing a speck toward eccentricity. Some property, atomic or otherwise, of the gold she carried interfered with the ship's navigational precision in a way that the fragrant wood-based compounds filling her sister vessels did not. I saw three ships, Esparza muttered. No need for cargo scans. 
The evolution of their sect had not made the Magi any less predictable in their pilgrimage rites, whatever fresh messiah they'd been summoned to exalt for the present cycle of millennia. They made it, Teague whispered, still half-credulous. So did we, Asparza sighed, both confirming and dismissing any miracle. Timing had been everything. Concerns about escaping homeworld orbit amid storming pandemonium now academic. A moon of blood and a sun gone black as sackcloth had taken all attention off the launch of a single rogue spacecraft. The rupture of the final seal had been the last audible transmission on the control frequency. What had befallen the homeworld, once witnessed, could not be suffered to happen again. Only eradication of its beginning, their mission data indicated, could forestall another such ending. Esparza ordered safeties away, relayed by Teague. Low-frequency sonic disturbance vibrated the atmosphere rising to meet them. Be not afraid, it might have signified to all life below. Indeed, there was no time left for fear. Laden with a cataclysmic fourth gift for whatever undulated toward the appointed coordinates of a new Bethlehem, the destroyer, Herod Nine, descended. I so want that one to keep going. In fact, a lot of these stories are glimpses into worlds and situations that I hope catches writers' imaginations in ways that they develop. A few people told me their story was an excerpt from a longer work in progress, and that's cool. So if anyone has a story that turns into something much bigger, please let me know. Even if I didn't pick your story, I'm curious if your flash piece gets published somewhere else as a full story, or hey, even a novel. Drop me a note in the future if it does, and I promise I'll remember you, even, even if I have to go look up your submission or something. This next one I hope will make you smile. It's also doing something that's really hard to do well. So lots of people tried to map something modern day onto an old legend or story, but sometimes they lost track of the character in the modern story, who they really were as people. Not this one though. The back and forth between old story and modern setting complement each other really well. And he just has a lot of fun along the way. This one, by the way, is read by Old Man Freak Boy of the radio show, Hey You Kids, Get Off My Lawn. Check out the show notes for a link to his annual Christmas music show, which is actually coming out this weekend. And hey, I'm on it too. Here's Kiss My Ass Day by Ginge. Word had gone out for every biker to stand and be counted at the protest rally. Old Joe had been in two minds about it, but Marie had insisted they go even though she was pregnant. There was no room left at the campsite, but when Marie's water burst, the animal's MC let them use their club tent as a stable place for the birth. She was calling him all the bastards under the sun. As God's my witness, thought old Joe, I'm the innocent one here. It was some angel knocked her up before disappearing to heaven knows where. As mother and child lay in sweet repose, old Joe nipped out for a smoke. Oh God, my pouch is empty. It'd take a miracle to score any now. The torchlight bounced along the ground and settled on the tent. Three bikers were approaching, and one of them had asked, Heard about the big event and wondering if you needed anything. Yeah, sure. Could use a smoke right now. He smiled and pressed a pouch of gold brand into Joe's hand. Ojo clocked their backpacks, announcing they were Kings of the Road MC, East Coast Chapter. Another of the kings asked, Fancy some Frankfurters? Catching old Joe's nod, he set the dogs bubbling on a portable stove. The third king winked and gave him a block of resin. Old Joe breathed in its heavy incense and said, Thanks, man. That should ease Marie's pain some. Some shepherds came along for a look-see. For heaven's sake, 
What the hell do they want? He asked one of the old kings. He said, It's most likely word spreading about the special day. Yeah, said old Joe. Well, tell him it's kiss my ass day. Hearing the commotion, Marie put in an appearance, and he'd visions of her giving him a sermon. Come on, Joe. Don't be cross. It's a miracle that baby hasn't woken up. Aye, and you watch that halo doesn't slip and choke you, he thought. Anyway, she said, what'll we call him? Old Joe shook his head. Jesus Christ, Marie, I don't know. That was a full dozen honorable mentions. I loved every one of them because there's so many different things going on. And they weren't even all about existential emptiness, so Mrs. Kringle, your mission was successful. Before we get to first and second place, I've got one last special honorable mention to read. Back in October, I got an email from Christian Ollier, I hope that's pronouncing it right because you might be French, who's an English teacher in Nagoya International High School in Nagoya, Japan. He told me that he stumbled onto my contest and was using it to get his students hopefully a little more interested in some of their writing assignments. He told me that if I could maybe mention them on the website, they'd think it was cool and might actually be more motivated to do their homework. So I told him I could do better, and I extended the contest deadline for just his class to be sure they could get things submitted. Now, what I think he was keeping as a surprise from you guys was that I was going to pick one of your class's stories for a winner and read it on the show. So to everyone in Mr. Ollier's class, I read all of your stories, and I truly enjoyed all of them. You are a creative bunch of kids, and your English is really quite good. Your stories were so good that I actually had a hard time picking the winner. First, I've got to give a shout out to Shinji Nishibori. Even though I didn't pick your story, kid, that McDonald's Christmas hamburger that killed zombies was seriously crazy in some great ways. I'll call your second prize for your class. And look, because I know someone might be uncomfortable about me praising high school students for violent stories, let me be clear that just because I like your story doesn't mean I'm saying it's okay to kill people. In America, we worry about stuff like that. With, you know, some good reasons. But hey, most of the stories you guys sent me had violence in them, so I'll let Mr. Ollier worry about that angle. But of all the stories your class wrote, the one that stood out to me most was by Nina Ota. And I'm going to read it for everyone here because it's so good. So here's Black Christmas. And I did change a couple words here and there just to make it flow a bit better when I read it out loud. But your English is great. Way better than my German or Spanish ever was. Henry came home from the police station. Now that he'd been accused of being a thief, no one would trust him again. He was full of vindictiveness. Henry was being bullied at school by a boy named Owen. The bully was big and had huge bug eyes on his ugly face. Henry usually came home with some bruises, or with his school books soaked in ketchup. But today, Owen set him up as a thief by giving him stolen products from a store and calling the police, saying that he saw Henry steal them. Henry decided to end it all. He decided to punish Owen so that he wouldn't be able to bully him again. But how? It was December 24th. Suddenly, Henry came up with a great idea. I should be a Santa Claus, the black Santa Claus, and punish him, he said to himself. The next day, Henry disguised himself in black. Then he went to the rooftop of an abandoned building. It was the usual haunt for Owen and his friends. It was already dark, and the wind was blowing hard. Luckily, Owen was alone. Henry snuck up on him from behind and pushed him with all his strength at the edge of the building. He fell off. Owen's death was counted as suicide. No one thought a timid ten-year-old boy would murder someone. A year later, Henry was living a better and comfortable life. Everything was fine after the demise of the bully. It was the night of December 25th. Henry was at home decorating the Christmas tree. Suddenly, 
he saw the figure of a huge man in a red suit through the window. Who is that? He decided to take a closer look and went near the window. The man looked like a 90-year-old man dressed up as Santa. Henry knocked on the window. Then the man turned around and started laughing. He had a child's face, but with huge bug eyes. So thanks, Nina. Thanks to everyone else in the class, and thanks to Mr. Ollier for telling me what you guys were doing. It's really kind of cool for me that the contest made its way all the way over there to Japan, and that you guys wrote stories for it. Thank you so much for letting me read them. And now it's time for the winners. There's no rubric for how to win a writing contest, and some of you may well disagree with my choices, but that's just the nature of these things. I did, however, make sure that the stories I chose also stood out as unique with the other three readers, even if we all weren't unanimous in our choices for the final two spots. In the end, though, it's my show. And what I was looking for was that same kind of thrill I get when I find some old Christmas postcard that's totally wrong for the holiday, but also somehow just right for Christmas. It's that same vibe that I hope keeps you listening to the podcast and following along with the cards. Somehow, they just grab that weird Christmas aesthetic. So here's your second prize winner, Hung with Care, by Ian Kopp. They caught and killed William McClister that winter. After six years of investigation, the Bobbies axed down his door, found him standing naked in a circle of blood, laughing. Some of his victims were strewn about, limp and pale on the rough wood floor. Their skulls were cracked. It was known that William bludgeoned his victims to death. Some folks, out in the darkest hours, reported hearing the thump-thump of his attacks echo through the empty streets. Gentlemen, I surrender. May I get dressed before you take me, he asked as the officers advanced, clubs held high. The sergeant allowed it under strict supervision. The judge would want him clothed anyways. A ten-person escort followed him to the far wall, where a three-piece suit hung, clean and pressed. He hummed a carol while he dressed, then presented himself with a flourish. He looked more like a lord than a depraved killer. Ah, he chuckled, almost forgot my hat. He spun on his heel, causing all ten men to flinch, and plucked a silk top hat from the floor, donning it with a wink. He was hanged on Christmas Eve. The crowd cheered and broke into song. His body was tossed in a wobbly hearse, puffy flesh and purple bruises looking out of place next to the trim suit. As the cart bounced through the cobbled lanes, the corpse was tossed about, slamming into walls. The driver didn't care. This man deserved the rough treatment, even in death. In the tumult, William's hat rolled from the hearse into the slush and mud. A group of children spotted it falling. They scurried over, picked it up, brushed it off. It was perfect for their purposes. Giggling, they ran back to the alley where a snowman awaited their final touches. Standing on shoulders, one youth lifted the silk hat up, past the corncob pipe, above the button nose, and placed it on the snowman's head. There must have been some vile magic in that hat they found, because that night, William McClister laughed, and the thumpity-thump-thump began again. Now that is how you twist a familiar story into something strange and terrifying. I'll never sing thumpity-thump-thump the same way again, that's for sure. What's so cool here, I think, is that even if you figure out what's going on pretty early in the piece, the how this will turn into a full frosty story keeps you reading, and it pays off in spades. Ian, my hat is off to you. And finally, the winner. No more talking from me. Let's just get right to the first prize story, Christmas Gran, by Hannah White Oak. The best part of Christmas is getting out the gran. On the first day of Advent... Dad climbs into the loft. When he wobbles down the ladder with Gran slung stiffly over his shoulder, the festive feeling sets in. 
Mum puts me in charge of decoration. Lucy has too much teenage cool to get involved, and Dad's put his back out fetching Gran from the loft, so it's up to me. I make her a tinsel halo and thread baubles through the holes in her ears. They stretch a little more every year. Gran sits by the fire as relatives come and go throughout December, dropping off presents for Lucy and me. Everyone takes a chocolate from the bowl in her lap and says, Hello, Gran, how are you doing? She doesn't answer, of course, just stares with her glass eyes, her smile stretched tight. Gran was livelier before I was born, but everyone agrees she wasn't as nice. I imagine her as a bit like Aunt Marjorie, who complains that Mum's slimy sprouts are undercooked and takes her teeth out of the table to pick them clean. Dad says the taxidermist had to iron Gran's forehead to get rid of the frown marks. If you look closely, you can still see the burn. After Christmas dinner, we squish into the living room. There aren't enough chairs, so Lucy and I sit on the floor next to Gran's orthopaedic shoes. Turkey stuffed, we're just about drifting off to sleep when a sprouty stink fills the room. Caw, we all say. Who's that? And then someone says, It's Gran! And everyone laughs. Uncle Norman claps her on the shoulder, shaking one of the baubles loose and says, Mum, you don't half reek. Gran stays with us until twelfth night, when we take away the tinsel, sponge the stains from her cardigan, and put her back in the loft. Dad rolls up the ladder and closes the trapdoor. Mum lays out my uniform for the start of a new school term. Gran waits, alone, in the dark. Creepy, cosy, morbid, sentimental. How am I supposed to feel about this thing? I still don't know. And that's why Hannah won. Such a straightforward, elegant little vignette that leaves me with like so many questions and contradictory reactions. It's so familiar, so wrong. It's weird in the best sense of the word. Now, I'll admit when I first read it, I knew it was good, but I didn't immediately think I'd found the winner. But I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And it wouldn't leave me alone, just like Gran waiting in the dark all year long. Some stories just grab you right out like Krampus, and others grow their little evergreen branches into your heart before you even know you were trapped. Congratulations, Hannah. Merry Christmas. So did you like them? If there's one or two in particular that stood out to you, please head over to weirdchristmas.com in the post for the show. The writer's various social media accounts are listed there under each story, along with a short bio and links to other sites or stories they have. If you think someone else should have won, go tell them. Writers need readers. You can also leave comments there or in a pinch, send me an email at weirdxmas at gmail.com and I'll make sure they get your note. So now it's time to start thinking about next year's contest. I'll make an official announcement over the summer again, but it'll basically be the same. 350 words, winter holiday themed, and weird. A few people have asked if they can submit the same story again next year. I mean, you can, but think about changing it up a little bit, at least for the exercise. But please don't send me anything until the announcement comes out, or I guarantee that I will lose your story in my email. And I'll bug everyone one last time. If you enjoyed the show, you can support it with a coffee, those $3 donations, 
from ko-fi.com, and it'll all go back to the contest next year. Same for joining Patreon. Links to those things are up at weirdchristmas.com and in the show notes. And anything I make goes right back into the show and site and helps me keep things running. I'm certainly not making profit off of this. Or if you're not into sending cash, leave a review at Apple Podcasts. I don't think any of the views there actually mention the contest shows or short stories, so yours could be the first. And if you send me your contact information after you did it, I'll send you a real honest-to-goodness postcard in the mail. A strange one, of course. Thanks again to everyone who entered a story, whether you won or not. I invite each and every one of you to submit another one next year, and sincerely, I'm so grateful to everyone for sharing your writing with me. It really is a privilege to read so much wild creativity about something that's so close to my heart. There's still more shows to come this season, so keep an eye on your podcast apps. And follow me on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Facebook for all the weird old vintage postcards you can stand. Now, though, I gotta go find the cash to pay for the winners. Go see if there's, you know, anything left in the toe of my kids' stockings from last year, or spare change, maybe. I can still maybe return some of the gifts, but you don't need to hear my problems. So until next time, don't let Santa stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. Lord, I'd still like to go to Grandma's house for Christmas. Now I can hear the angels singing. I hear Grandma loud and clear. Lord, I'd still like to go to Grandma's house for Christmas. She's there singing a happy song. Grandma's home for Christmas this year. I know she's there singing a happy song. Grandma's home for Christmas this year.